So I ask you this tonight. Stay with us. We're taking this to November. Is it November yet? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. No? I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From middle. From Pacifica with Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, and in Cottage Grove on Queso. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Halenville, New York on WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe on the internets every day for your listening convenience on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn. GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and other fine affiliates, both terrestrial and internet-based. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast, especially since Tuesday was another special election day in some of these United States and has been the as has been the pattern for Democrats in the age of Donald Trump the results of special elections in both Arizona and New York on Tuesday look to be very encouraging in uh, the Democrats hoped for blue wave in this November's crucial midterms details on that in a moment also today while uh, EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt's corruption scandals continue to multiply each and every day, sometimes each and every hour, uh, that has not stopped him one whit in his efforts to dismantle the Environmental Protection Agency on behalf of his corporate fossil-fueled lobbyists and funders, even if that means dismantling the very idea of science itself a process that Republicans have long sought and which Pruitt began ominously on Tuesday night to put into place at the EPA itself. We'll be joined in a little bit by Rebecca Lieber of Mother Jones to discuss the remarkable scheme that Pruitt announced with, uh, well, much fanfare, at least to the, uh, climate, sci- uh, the climate science denialists. Uh, who were in tow, he didn't let anyone else know about it until just before the event happened, Uh, even while continuing to look the other way from the scandals that have threatened to engulf his administration at the EPA and which would have ended any other 
EPA administrator's career, frankly, at any other time in U.S. history. Oh, and I'd say any other cabinet official any time ever in any position. Yep. The scandals that have stacked up against him far outweigh any of the other scandals that we've seen, it seems, yep. from any of the other, even Trump administration, for dismissing cabinet officials. For corruption. Uh, yes. Uh, hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. How are you? Good. Good. But first, before we get to any of that, um, <clears throat> it was a, uh, as I said, a special election day on Tuesday. And equipment malfunctions caused two polling sites to open up two hours late on Tuesday morning and interrupted voting at two other polling places in the afternoon in the closely watched Congressional District 8 special U.S. House election in Phoenix, Arizona's West Valley on Tuesday. Although the problems surfaced during the morning and afternoon voting rush, special elections usually attract lower turnout and most voters uh, cast ballots by mail in any case in the uh, race on Tuesday in Arizona. Approximately Three quarters of the ballots were either early votes or vote by mail in that race. So thankfully, not too many are known to have been inconvenienced or turned away entirely by the outages in several precincts in Maricopa County on Tuesday. The race was to fill an open seat in the 8th Congressional District between Republican former State Senator Debbie Lesko and Democratic former emergency room Dr. Hiral Tipernini, a political newcomer. Uh, Perry Fasciana was in uh, was the first in line at 6 a.m. at the Desert Palms Presbyterian Church in Sun City West at 6 a.m. But he was not allowed to vote until 8.09 a.m., two hours. Both the computerized voter check in system and the printer that spits out ballots in uh, in Maricopa County. Now, both of those systems were down, said Fasciana an information technology technician for the Arizona Republic newspaper, as it turns out, because now in Maricopa, they not only use computerized e-poll books, they also use a computerized print-on-demand paper ballot system. If either of those systems go down, voting can come to a standstill, as it did in this uh, in this precinct on Tuesday. Uh, luckily, of course, uh, computers always work great, so there's nothing <laughs> to worry about there, especially on the one day of the year that they must work perfectly, since we now use them for all of our elections for reasons that are still unclear to me. Faciana's wife and son, they went home to wait for a fix while he stayed in line as uh, multiple election staffers worked on the system uh, a new hard drive was delivered from headquarters, according to the Arizona Republic. But uh, how many voters didn't or couldn't wait and didn't get to vote at all during those two hours of outage at the precinct during the morning rush before most people had to be at work? And remember, this was in a small special election with just one race on the ballot. How's that system going to work out this August in in uh, Arizona's statewide midterm primaries and then on uh, general election day this November. Well, and also remember, in this particular area, if I remember correctly, the Sun City area, that's filled with retirees. We're talking 80, 90-year-old people forced to wait two hours? Yep. It took two hours to be able, quote, to draw a little arrow on his ballot, 
Fasciana joked. Well, at least they vote on hand-marked paper ballots there, at least uh, once the computer signs them in and another computer prints out a ballot for them. A similar problem occurred at the Unitarian Universalist Church polling place in Surprise, Arizona, delaying delaying its opening by about an hour, according to election officials. A voting site at Liberty High School in Peoria, Arizona, was interrupted by a printer issue. In the 4 p.m. hour, it was back around uh, back online uh, almost at 5 p.m. for the 30 voters who were still waiting there. The Desert Sage Elementary School polling site began having printer troubles around 4 p.m. By 5.30 p.m., an hour and a half later, a new printer was on its way for the 42 people waiting in line uh, to vote there. That was the afternoon rush after work. Maricopa County recorder Adrian Fontes, a, uh, a Democrat who came to office last year promising improvements to the voting system, said that his office is reviewing the problems and uh, ensuring that they don't happen again in the August and November midterms. We've had Fontes on this show. I think he's a good guy. I don't suspect any foul play here. But if you multiply what happened on Tuesday compared to the number of voters and races in the upcoming midterm elections, the relatively small problems reported on Tuesday could turn into a disaster in the midterms. Fontes said, uh, quote, anytime you're using a new technology, no matter how robust your testing is, there will be various equipment failures or shortcomings in the system. It's very good we identify them now, he said, and square all of this away before the fall. Boy, I'll say it is. Uh, The new technology that uh, Fontes implemented uh, when it functions properly is designed to improve voter database accuracy, speed check-in, cut down on ballot waste, and quicken the vote count, according to the uh, according to the paper. The county now uses on-demand printers that create ballots featuring the uh, right races for each person as soon as voters check in at computerized kiosks, at least in theory. Space-aged, can you feel the democracy improving? Uh, Fasciana, the uh, tech guy from the Arizona Republic who had to wait for two hours to vote, uh, said it was ironic that as a tech professional, he wished Tuesday that election workers had printed paper ballots ahead of time (laughs) as a backup. In the fall, polling places are expected to have additional technology as a backup so that the issues seen on Tuesday are less likely. The Maricopa County Board of Supervisors recently approved spending $4 million to buy extra printers, computer kiosks, and other equipment so polling places will have emergency equipment. Um, We're wishing them luck as to the reported computer tallied results of the race itself. Well, it took a big money push for the Republican Party uh, and tweets by the president and the support of the state's current and former governors. But the GOP held on to an Arizona U.S. seat that they would never have uh, considered endangered in any other year. They barely hung on to that seat. And while the GOP appears to have won it, On Tuesday, the results will still uh, bode uh, very poorly for the Republicans this fall. Tuesday's narrow victory by Republican Debbie Lesko over a Democratic political newcomer 
sends a big message to Republicans nationwide. Uh, even the reddest of districts in the reddest of states can be in play this year. Returns showed Lesko winning by about five percentage points in the race where Donald Trump, a district where Donald Trump had won by 21 percentage points in 2016. Former state Senator um, uh, Lesko defeated Hiral Tipernini, who had hoped to replicate surprising Democratic wins in Pennsylvania, Alabama, and other states this year, uh, where opposition to Trump's policies have boosted the Democratic Party's chances in uh, boatloads of what had long been Republican strongholds around the country. Republican political consultant Chuck Coughlin, Co Coughlin uh, called Tuesday's special election margin, quote, not good for national Republicans looking at their chances in November. Lesko will replace Congressman Trent Franks, a Republican who had held the seat for some 15 years without pretty much any competition at all from Democrats whatsoever until he resigned last December amid sexual misconduct allegations. Arizona's 8th Congressional District sprawls across western Phoenix suburbs covering some of the most conservative areas of the red state. Tipernini had worked the district hard. She made inroads that have rarely been seen in the area. Uh, one that has not elected a Democrat since the early 1980s. Tipernini said Tuesday night that she plans to run in November's general election again. She told supporters not to give up the cause. She said that despite the big Republican advantage in the district, the results show that people were ready for a change. National Republican groups spent huge to back Lesko. They uh, poured in more than $500,000 in the suburb in the suburban uh, Phoenix district for television and mail ads and phone calls to voters. In really in a district they've never had to uh, put money into before. National Democratic groups, in the meantime, they did not commit money to the race. A sign, uh, according to the uh, to the paper here, that uh, they did not believe the seat was in play. But once again, maybe they should have thought it was in play. Maybe they should have put in some money, given how close it ended up being. And it really was close, closer than the raw numbers here may seem. Uh, Lesko, the Republican, ended up with about 52.5% of the vote. Tipernini, the Democrat, ended up with 47.5% of the vote. That's a five-point spread, but that's just about 9,000 votes out of some 175,000 ballots that were cast. Uh, still, even a five-point loss is a uh, much bigger victory for Democrats, even though they lost. That really is a big victory for Democrats than they than than might otherwise be obvious here. Uh, after all, this is uh, yes, a win is a win for the GOP, but this was a, a district that Donald Trump had won by 21 points. So, in this case, winning it by only five. Five points, uh, 9,000 votes is certainly unsettling for them this uh, this afternoon. Nate Silver of 538.com, after the initial numbers came in on election night, 
said that if the results end up, this was uh, before we had uh, all of the results in, but he said if the results end up at Lesko uh, plus six, it now has come in at uh, plus five, but if it comes in at Lesko plus six, that would represent a 19-point swing toward Democrats from the district's partisan baseline. Bloomberg's Sahil Kapoor said Trump won this district by 21 points. Romney won it by 25 points. It's so red that Democrats have have not fielded a House candidate since 2012 in this district. Harry Enten, also of 538.com, said there's no excuse for the GOP here. There was uh, early and mail voting is easy to do in Arizona, and the GOP voted plenty here. Lesko raised and spent plenty of money. She was not scandal plagued uh, like we've seen in some of these other special elections. Uh, Enten says uh, the uh, signal here is obvious. It's actually worse for the GOP than it was in 2006 when Democrats ended up taking over both houses of Congress from Republicans in an anti-George W. Bush blue wave election that year. Steve Kornacki at MSNBC uh, tweeted, this is absolutely consistent with the average 15-plus point swings that we have seen in Kansas, Montana, South Carolina, Pennsylvania, and elsewhere. He says, but in this one, there was no glaring deficiency with the Republican nominee, no uh, Democratic nominee who was straining for separation from the uh, D.C. Democrats. There's no recent Democratic voting history in this uh, particular district and no overriding local issues. Nate Cohn of The New York Times observed there just aren't any excuses. The Republican candidate was not Roy Moore. The Democratic candidate was not Connor Lamb, the very moderate Democrat who who won a special election for the U.S. House in the Republican district in uh, in Pennsylvania last month. Cohn said the the turnout was not low. The district doesn't have, say, a latent Democratic tradition. Uh, uh, Nathaniel Rakich of Inside Elections observed if the rest of the state of Arizona moves as much as the 8th Congressional District did. Again, this is one of the most conservative districts in the state. If the rest of Arizona moves as much, then Kirsten Cinema, the uh, Democratic uh, uh, candidate for the U.S. Senate, Kirsten Cinema wins the Arizona Senate race by 11.5 points. So if the rest of the state does what the 8th District did, uh, 11 and a half points, uh, the Democrat will win that U.S. Senate race this November. Now, uh, Dave Wasserman of Cook Political Reports notes that there are 147 GOP-held House seats that are less Republican than Arizona District 8. So he adds, it's time to start rethinking how many of those uh, how many of those 147 Republican currently Republican held seats are truly safe in November. Charles Franklin, the uh, Marquette University pollster, however, offers uh, one note of caution here before Dems get too excited about all of this. Uh, He notes that uh, uh, special elections are all for open seats. November's elections are not necessarily for open seats. Most of those will not be open seats. 
Uh, he notes that average uh, the uh, average special election swing of 15 points uh, needs to add in the incumbency advantage for the non-open seats in November. He says that's about five or ten points. So before Democrats get too excited uh, for these open seats that they are winning, um, and I think this is now something like 40 seats that they have flipped from uh, red to blue during the uh, past year, before they get too excited, uh, incumbent candidates are a little bit harder to take down. Still, uh, foreboding signs for Republicans, good signs for Democrats, Uh, And there were more such signs in the state of New York, which also uh, held a special election, uh, special elections, I should say, on Tuesday for some state legislative seats. And the story was very encouraging for Democrats there as well. Um, Democrats flipped a New York assembly seat from uh, red to blue on Tuesday, winning a seat that has been in uh, GOP hands for nearly four decades. Democrat Steve Stern, a former Suffolk County legislator, beat out Janet Smitelli, a Republican, in uh, the 10th District uh, with 59% of the vote to the Republicans' 41%. That's an 18-point margin for the Democrats in in a district that has been represented by a Republican since 1978. Wow. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Democrats also narrowly fell short of flipping two other GOP-held assembly seats, losing both of those races by just two points, reportedly, according to the state's computer-tallied results, which I'll add have not been checked yet by any actual humans for accuracy. So that uh, huge news for Democrats in the state assembly in New York also in the New York State Senate, theoretically, even bigger news, though with a bizarre only in New York caveat. Uh, Democrats won special elections to fill two open Senate seats, state Senate seats in New York on Tuesday. And that, in fact, gives the party a majority in the state Senate for the first time in years. But in a twist of fate here, Republicans will maintain control of the state Senate, at least through the end of the legislative session, uh, which is scheduled to uh, to end in June. So uh, how is it that they've won a majority and the Democrats won a majority but still don't have control of the New York state Senate? Well, the outcome of Tuesday's state senate's uh, special contests were not surprises in and of themselves one district in the bronx went to hillary clinton by uh she received an incredible 93 percent of the vote up in the bronx in in 2016 uh the other is a district in westchester county where uh the clintons have a home they gave uh, clinton 59 percent of the vote against president trump in 2016 so it's not a surprise that these two seats went to Democrats. The results then mean that Democrats will control 32 of the 63 seats in the New York State Senate. So they have a legislative majority in the chamber. However, this is a crazy state. (laughs) This is the way the state New York uh, legislative, uh, the state Senate works is crazy. 
Uh, Democrats had recently reunited two warring factions in the state Senate earlier this month, including a rump conservative uh, Democratic group that had been caucusing with the Republicans, even though they're Democrats. But the Democrats brought those two groups together to ensure majority control. However, there is one lone Democratic holdout who continues to caucus with the GOP. That holdout is State Senator Simcha Felder, uh, whose alliances have shifted several times over the course of his career. In a statement on Tuesday, even before the polls closed, Felder said that he would continue to caucus with the Republicans And that provides them the 32nd vote necessary to control the New York State Senate chamber, at least for the remainder of the legislative session. Um, He Felder represents New York, one of the rare New York City based districts that gave uh, Trump a majority of its votes in 2016. His district based in Brooklyn went for Trump 53 to 45 percent. Um, he has he's a lifelong Democrat, but he is also uh, he's a deeply orthodox religious Jew uh, and he holds some views that are way out of touch with the Democratic mainstream. For example, he's both pro-life and anti-gay. Well, why doesn't he just run as a Republican? Uh, well, he has backed uh, Democrats, Democratic presidents. Oh. Uh, he, he backed uh, President Obama during his uh, 2008 primary battle against Hillary Clinton. He was one of the few New York officials to do so. He's um, he's he's only he says he's only ever voted for one Republican candidate in his life. That was former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg. Nevertheless, his uh, decision left uh, on Tuesday left Democrats very frustrated, as you might (laughs) suspect. Yep. This after um, Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo Uh, had worked quietly to reunite the mainline Democrats with this uh, rump faction of more centrist Democrats who had caucused with the GOP. Uh, They eventually made a deal, but uh, with Felder as a holdout, uh, it looks like the Democrats are going to have to fight for one more seat in the New York State Senate come this November. All right. uh, Let's see. All right. Let's take a quick break here. Running a little long. We'll come back with some more along these and other lines. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent. 100% 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to your Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Desi Doyen, uh, did you see what Mick Mulvaney uh, <laughs> reportedly said? At the, it's just incredible. Uh, yeah. Speaking to what something like a thousand bankers. Uh, Mick Mulvaney, he's both the director of the Office of Management and Budget and He is the interim director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB. Uh, He gave this speech to the um, 
to the banking industry, uh, to executives and lobbyists on Tuesday, and said that they should increase their campaign donations in order to influence lawmakers, oh, essentially, uh, revealing that he would meet only with lobbyists who contributed to his campaign back when when he was a uh, Republican uh, Congress member. Yeah, in the House. Yep. Uh, Mulvaney, uh, he was a former Republican lawmaker from South Carolina. He told 1,300 bankers and lobbyists at an American Bankers Association conference in Washington, according to Glenn Thrush of The New York Times, quote, we had a hierarchy in my office in Congress. If you're a lobbyist who never gave us money, I didn't talk to you. If you're a lobbyist who gave us money, I might talk to you. I just incredible that he comes out and admits it oh, admits as much out. if yeah. you don't give us money i ain't talking to you lobbyists and he's speaking to a room full of lobbyists he as i said he also runs the white house budget office uh, he's a longtime critic of the obama era consumer bureau that he now heads as interim director and he back in Congress, he had called on uh, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau to be killed entirely. He tried to kill it many times. It was put in place after the global banking crisis uh, of 2007. And um, now he's in charge of it. Uh, he was tapped by Trump to uh, temporarily run the bureau in part because of his promise to sharply curtail its enforcement actions against the banks and, and lenders. The same people that Mick Mulvaney was talking to and saying, hey, y'all ought to increase the amount of money that you uh, that you give if you want things to change in your favor in Washington, D.C. <laughs> I know it is reads straight out like quid pro quo yeah. like pay to play yeah. I mean I, I for one thing I guess I'm glad that he's being candid he feels free to pull the mask off and admit that that's actually how he operated as a house as member a yeah. and uh, likely as uh, how, how all of the Republicans <laughs> appear yeah. to operate yeah since uh, taking the job uh, the Times notes Mulvaney has frozen all new investigations at the CFPB and has slowed down existing inquiries by requiring career employees to produce detailed justifications for their work and by sharply restricting the Bureau's access to bank data, arguing that its investigations created unnecessary online security risks. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, he has scaled back the agency's efforts to go after payday lenders, auto lenders, other financial services companies uh, who have been accused of preying on vulnerable consumers. He's essentially gutting the agency. They can't do it outright in Congress, so he's he's found another way to do it. Well, and also they donated to his campaigns right. as, a, as a House member, so he's just paying them back now that he's in a position to regulate them. On Tuesday, Mulvaney implored the financial services industry to help support the legislative changes that he has requested in order to diminish the Bureau's power by increasing campaign donations. Mulvaney said that trying to sway legislators that way was one of the fundamental underpinnings of our representative democracy, and you have to continue to do it. That's a direct quote from Mulvaney to the bankers and the lobbyists. You have to continue to give us money or we might not meet with you at all. 
just give more money to get what you want. Yes. In his remarks, Mulvaney also announced a series of moves intended to further reduce the bureau's power, including shutting off public access to the bureau's online database of consumer complaints. He explained that uh, it's in the law. They must keep a database of computer uh, of, of consumer complaints against bankers, but he noticed that nothing in the uh, law specifically says that database has to be made public. Mm. It doesn't have to be online. So if you have a question about uh, a, a bank, a banker, you right now, apparently you can look it up in this online database, but he's going to take that down so that uh, consumers, again, it's the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau taking it down so that uh, it can't be used. By consumers. <laughs> I know. And, and then people complain about, oh, these laws, you know, they're so long, there's so many pages. That's the reason why they're so many pages long, when lawmakers are attempting to catch every single loophole that a cheater will walk through. Because apparently you have to specify it. Yes. Apparently you have to, if, if, if there's going to be a public database, you have to specify that it's actually made available to the public. Publicly. <sighs> So Mick Mulvaney, just in case you're wondering who his top contributors uh, are or were or are, uh, who he's who he's actually working for here. Uh, let's see. Blue Cross Blue Shield gave him forty four thousand dollars. Coke Industries, the Coke brothers gave him thirty five thousand dollars. The American Bankers Association, who he just happened to be speaking to when he was making these comments, gave him thirty two thousand dollars. Duke Energy, thirty three thousand dollars. Credit Union National Credit Union National Association, thirty thousand dollars. National Auto Dealers Association, thirty thousand dollars. Ernst and Young. Were there uh, tax preparers, Ernst and Young? Yeah, they're also financial services, corporate account and financial services. Twenty-five thousand dollars from them. National Association of Insurance and Financial Advisors, twenty-three thousand. These are all companies that are overseen by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau that Mick Mulvaney now heads. Bank of America gave him $21,000, etc. On and on and on it goes. So that's the way it works. That's the way it works. And Republicans are not even pretending it doesn't anymore. They're just saying it out loud. That is the swamp that Donald Trump pretended he was going to uh, to end. And a lot of suckers believed him. Then there's Scott Pruitt. Of the EPA, who ha- the EPA administrator, who, if it's uh, even possible, is even more corrupt than Mick Mulvaney. And not only is he working hard for his constituents, his constituents being the lobbyists and uh, fossil fuel companies who have paid him off for years, not only is he working for them, he's actually working to undermine the concept of science itself. That story is next. The uh, Scott Pruitt's Secret Science. That's next on the broadcast with Rebecca Lieber of Mother Jones. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. 
We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Listen, do you want to know a secret? Do you promise not to tell? All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. There is a new phrase that you may start hearing a lot from Republicans and Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt, at least as long as he still has a job. And frankly, given the mountain of corruption scandals that would have taken down any other EPA chief in U.S. history, Long ago, it is remarkable that Scott Pruitt still does have a job. Adding to Pruitt's problems, by the way, over the weekend, it was revealed by the New York Times that uh, Pruitt, while an elected official in Oklahoma, received a $100,000 discount on a house that he purchased from a corporate lobbyist. $100,000. Also over the weekend, we learned that uh, despite Pruitt's repeated denials, the lobbyist from whom he was renting a condo in Washington, D.C. for the ridiculously low price of $50 a night did, in fact, have business before the EPA and, in fact, met with uh, Pruitt at the EPA last year. Nonetheless, I digress. Uh, Despite uh, at least five GOP members of Congress calling for Pruitt to step down and some 170 Democratic lawmakers calling for his resignation as well, Pruitt does not seem to be going anywhere for the moment, which brings us back to that new phrase you may start hearing from Republicans a lot following an announcement late on Tuesday. That new phrase... Secret science. According to Miranda Green at The Hill, Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt signed a rule proposal Tuesday aimed at increasing transparency in science, all while limiting reporter, environmentalist and scientist access to the event. The proposal signed at EPA headquarters aims to expose the methodology behind scientific findings and cut back on what Pruitt has deemed, quote, secret science. Speaking in front of a number of well-known climate change skeptics, Pruitt announced that the new rule would require science to, quote, be transparent, reproducible and able to be analyzed by those in the marketplace. Well, that sounds good, no? Reporters were not invited to attend the so-called transparency event and details surrounding the announcement and the rule proposal were kept secret until 30 minutes before the EPA's Twitter account announced it would be live streamed. Pruitt at the event said the new rule shows, quote, an agency taking responsibility for how we do our work in respecting process so that we can enhance confidence in our decision-making process. He also dubbed the current process, which had until now allowed science to be peer-reviewed rather than open to public scrutiny, quote, simply wrong-headed. Mind you, this is an attorney who has uh, been funded for decades by fossil fuel companies and other huge corporations announcing that the scientific method is simply wrong-headed according to this corrupt attorney. 
Opponents of the new rule say it would limit the number of available scientific studies that could be used by the agency in its rulemaking, namely by excluding a host of peer-reviewed public health studies. Timed along with Pruitt's announcement, uh, seven Democratic lawmakers sent a letter to Pruitt on Tuesday denouncing the new policy. The uh, letter, led by Tom Carper of Delaware, tells Pruitt, Your proposed new policy violates several laws with which the EPA must comply as the agency writes rules to protect our air, water, and land from harmful pollution. Federal law, the uh, lawmakers note, requires that the use of best available science be used when making such rules as courts have long found that all existing scientific evidence relevant to a discussion must be examined when making such rules and that the agency can't simply ignore existing data. And yet that is Pruitt's plan with this proposed new rule, as both he and Republican lawmakers, as well as the climate change deniers and corporate fossil fuel lobbyists, are all very excited about this change that they have been trying to accomplish legislatively for a long time. Mother Jones climate, environment and energy politics reporter out of their D.C. Bureau, Rebecca Lieber, argues that this newly proposed rule may be Scott Pruitt's most destructive move yet. And that's saying quite a bit. She joins us now to discuss it. Rebecca Lieber, welcome back to the broadcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So uh, what exactly does this newly proposed secret science rule actually do? As you were laying out, uh, the this new rule uh, ha- basically forces the EPA, in when it's crafting regulations, it, it collects the best available science to determine the course of action. And, and normally that process is... is very transparent. Uh, there are several steps along the way where it's published um, and collects public comment. What Pruitt has done here is propose limiting the studies that the EPA can use in crafting regulations. And those studies would have to have all of its data publicly available, which sounds great yeah. on its face. Transparency. Who doesn't want more transparency? Sure. But there is a lot of complications here that effectively limits the pool drastically of studies and really could conceivably cut out uh, our best available science showing that air pollution and water pollution is a health problem. And that's because medical, um, these these studies typically rely on medical records that are by law uh, forced to be private. And also they may include proprietary information that uh, academic institutions and even industry don't want to make public. So there are a lot of problems in mandating that all this data would be made public, and um, that at that at the crux is the problem with uh, effectively limiting the pool uh, of studies. You can have skewed, more skewed reg- um, regulation coming out of it. And- and so just so I understand this, uh, for example, uh, the EPA might use a study on the health of a, a population in a particular area of the country, uh, finding that there is a, a you know, larger incidence of, of asthma or lung cancer or something along those lines. And they would use that data when uh, they would consider that data when making a new rule. But what Scott Pruitt seems to be calling for is in a case like that, 
they can't just use the, the, the data about the number of uh, the people who were sick. They actually have to release all the data, which would include the medical records of all of these people who were uh, considered in this study? Yeah, and the EPA argues that it can redact some of this information so it's not identifiable, uh, but there, a, a lot of researchers point out that actually it doesn't it doesn't conceal the identity of um, the people involved. And it also just isn't how these studies are done. Um, and you're, especially if you're relying on voluntary participation. And the, the key, um, the, the, one of the biggest targets of this is this famous study um, called the Harvard Six City Study from the 1990s. And this is really the landmark study that forms the basis of a lot of our air pollution regulation, and uh, it, for example, would uh, mean that that study would not be able to con- be considered. Would, would this rule, uh, once it's finalized, if it's finalized, would it apply only to new rulemaking procedures and regulations moving forward, or would the EPA be able to go back and somehow apply it retroactively to existing regulations? So it it applies for rules going forward, but you know it's it's hard to really game out how they're going going to use this. The EPA every few years is uh, supposed to review standards on ozone and particulate matter, and those have deadlines coming up. Mm-hmm. And uh, the EPA, if this rule goes forward and isn't stopped in courts, then they could look at the uh, this limited uh, pool of studies and say. Um, potentially that uh, roll back these standards further and say that's what the science supports. So um, it's, mm. it's unclear exactly how they're going to use it. So essentially they could say, well, we we don't have enough data on that uh, to, to make such a rule or a regulation uh, when in fact we do have the data. They just don't like that particular data because it can't be released in full. Yeah, and the other piece of this is this just really... De- could grind future regulations to a halt where um, you're adding effectively several new obstacles uh, in even formulating these regulations. And Mm -hmm. that alone, they normally take years and years of drafts and collecting public comment Mm -hmm. to be put forward. And now you're adding uh, this, this giant extra hurdle where EPA scientists have to track down researchers and get their data if they're going to publish, um, um, if they're going mm-hmm. to try to use it. And um, that really just could add it, a lot of extra time and also cost to putting forward each new regulation. This is this is something that Republicans, uh, particularly the retiring Republican uh, chair of the of the U.S. House Science Committee, ironically enough, Lamar Smith, Congressman Lamar Smith of Texas, he's a, uh, a renowned climate science denier. Uh, he has proposed this for a very long time, correct, uh, legislatively in Congress to, uh, the, I think, what was it called, the, the Secret Science Act that would uh, bar the use of, of what he describes as secret science? Yeah, he had uh, these bills that he uh, eventually renamed the HONEST Act, an acronym, um, and the, the 
a funny thing to note is uh, yesterday when Pruitt made this announcement, as you pointed out, reporters weren't invited, Mm -hmm. but there was a live stream and you could see Lamar Smith uh, at the beginning of that live stream just gleeful um, to see this put into place. The, uh, what what do they think, uh, Rebecca Labor? Do you have any sense? Uh, do they really think that uh, something is being hidden from them? Do they know better? In other words, is this just a way to prevent actual science from being used? Or do they really think that there is some sort of secret science that is being uh, quietly changed to hoax the world into believing whatever it is, believing that, uh, you know, that the climate is warming and the seas are rising, that we're just uh, the EPA is is tricking people into believing that burning coal causes asthma. I mean, do do they really believe that there is some secret science going on or is this just a way to just cut the knees out from under uh, science and the, uh, the, the regulations that are put forward by agencies like the EPA? Well, without trying to get inside of what goes on in Pruitt's head, I think uh, an important thing to note about um, this argument that this is all for transparency's sake is these internal emails that were obtained by the Union of Concerned Scientists Mm -hmm. about this rule uh, show that a Trump political appointee to the EPA expressed concern over this initiative, saying that a lot of industry studies do the same thing, are modeled in the same way, and this um, would be this would be disruptive um, for the industry. Um, it, or, in her words, Nancy Beck's words, it, such a requirement would be incredibly burdensome. So meaning, she, meaning, meaning, they would have trouble uh, even using the studies that came from the industry that the Scott Pruitt and the EPA might like to use in their regulations, uh, because those two include so-called secret science. Yeah, and it's it's they or they approach it in similar ways. They and it might not necessarily be studies that show uh, what Pruitt wants, but they're studies that at least are being considered mm-hmm. in uh, new chemical regulation that mm-hmm. um, EPA is, is responsible for. So when we're talking about secret science, I think the the industry part of this is really important, um, which is why when this rule came out, I looked at uh, the text of what um, is published in the Federal Register mm-hmm. and uh, wondered what the exemptions might be, because this does affect industry, which is a major Pruitt constituency. Mm-hmm. And uh, it there is a generous carve-out for industry in this rule that essentially lets Pruitt, personally, to decide what uh, gets exempted from this new requirement. Oh. So, of course, no... No secret science unless Scott Pruitt uh, gives the thumbs up to his uh, when ExxonMobil comes in with with their science. That that'll be OK. He can he can personally give that the uh, the OK to use in the rulemaking. Uh, this is this only a, a proposed rule as of now. Correct, uh, Rebecca. In other words, yeah. uh, the public can weigh in uh, at what is it? Regulations.gov or where they can submit comments and so forth. Can it be, can it and will it be challenged in court or only once it becomes a formal rule, as far as you know? Um, yeah, the process is generally uh, they will collect public comment for 30 days. Normally, you don't see lawsuits until a rule is finalized because nothing has uh, taken effect yet. Mm-hmm. So um, I would expect lawsuits over this. Um, the fact that Pruitt can make these exemptions 
um, seems fairly ar- arbitrary and uh, just the fact that he's really changing how the EPA works internally um, in a way that might uh, conflict with the Clean Air Act, which mandates the EPA to put forward regulations on the best available science. If uh, if this is allowed to go through, is this something that can be because it's not a legislation, it's, it's just a, a rulemaking procedure uh, that can be easily undone the next time there there's a Democratic administration uh, in control of the EPA? You know, because this is a rule um, which actually was a surprise, um, it, it also was rumored that this might be a directive which would be more easily changed. Um, but this is a rule, and if it is finalized um, and survives the court challenges, uh, it might actually be a lot harder to undo. Um, that's the same trouble Pruitt has gotten in in trying to roll back regulations, mm-hmm. when, um, especially when the court uh, courts decide uh, that it's okay. And um, it, rules go through multi- many steps to uh, get finalized, and when you are rolling back a rule, you have to go through many similar steps. So there's a long way to go here still for uh, Scott to get this uh, Scott Pruitt to get this formalized, and if he's successful, uh, another long road to uh, to reverse it uh, next time sanity reigns at the EPA. Uh, Rebecca Lieber, before I let you go here, uh, you're in D.C. Are you seeing any signs? That's uh, Scott Pruitt, who is just engulfed in scandal, uh, new ones, you know, not just by the day, but by the hour these days. Uh, Are you seeing any signs that he has any intention of stepping down or that the uh, administration will finally push him out or that the pressure from lawmakers? I think there's now five Republicans uh, who have been calling for him to resign. Are you seeing any signs that there's any movement like that? Uh, that he may finally be pushed out here? Well, I came from a rally today that was calling to boot Pruitt. Um, That is a rally launched by progressive groups and environmental groups, so clearly not Trump's constituency. But um, Pruitt still has a powerful uh, constituency where uh, they are happy with everything he has done, and um, that includes President Trump. And um, that is one major reason he's still there yep. <laughs> um, when other cabinet members have not survived this this same onslaught. Yep. Um, and Pruitt, too, has his own political ambitions in mind and uh, does not seem like he would, would step down voluntarily. But um, one key sign this week that was um, maybe the, the biggest signal yet that he has lost some pivotal support is that Senator Inhofe from his home state and a key Pruitt ally, he has expressed some skepticism, though very vaguely, about Pruitt's conduct. Um, But Pruitt goes to the Hill Thursday for two hearings on the EPA budget. They were scheduled before all of these scandals really picked up steam. But uh, I expect we will have a sense, at least from Republicans, how strongly they are going to um, they're going to go after him on uh, all all of these questions. Wow, uh, I'm I'm in, I'm impressed that Inhofe of all people is even suggesting uh, he's troubled by this 
But other than that, I mean, I guess I guess if I was uh, Tom Price, the former Health and Human Services Administrator who got who got fired, boy, would I be mad because I mean, what he did nothing compared to what uh, the unbelievably swampy and corrupt Scott Pruitt has so far been accused of. Just amazing. Uh, Rebecca Lieber, really appreciate your uh, joining us to explain this today. You can find Rebecca's work at MotherJones.com. You can follow her on the Twitters at Reb Lieber. That's R-E-B-L-E-B-E-R on Twitter. And uh, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Okay, we got to get out here. But uh, Desi, uh, (laughs) with, uh, you know, when the GOP is in power... They play for keeps. Oh, yeah. I mean, if the Democrats did anything nearly this radical, I mean, virtually changing the definition of the scientific uh, method itself here uh, in order to jam through their agenda, uh, there would be impeachments. There would be endless hearings. There would be Fox Fox News fueled riots on the streets. Oh, sure. They'd be up in arms. I mean, it, it brings to mind what uh, David Ferris uh, is, is calling for in his book. We interviewed him a few weeks ago. You can download it at bradblog.com, uh, his book, uh, Time for Democrats to Play Dirty. Uh, really, the things that he's calling for, nothing nearly as radical as these Republicans do every day. Yeah, trying to reformulate the entire structure of the Environmental Protection Agency. And they know what they're doing it. They know that they are messing with the science. And they're doing this across all levels of government. When they get in control, none of this namby-pamby incrementalism for them. Uh, they make changes. Democrats may want to pay attention. All Smash right. and grab. Yep. We got to get out. Uh, thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer, to Rebecca Lieber of Mother Jones, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Brad Blog. And my great thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.